0: Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds On Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. I am so pleased to introduce you to my guest for today's episode, Alex L. You may know her from her popular books, her podcast, and or from her Instagram page. Alex is a bestselling author, a certified breathwork coach, and a restorative writing teacher. She says that writing came into her life by way of therapy and the exploration of healing through journaling and mindfulness. The intention behind Alex's work is to build community and self-care practices through literature and language. So Alex teaches workshops, courses, and retreats that assist others in finding their voices and helping them create clarity in their lives and their relationships. Her new book is How We Heal, Uncover Your Power and Set Yourself Free. Alex is a really special person, as you'll hear in this episode. She has a way with words that has reached a lot of people. And I loved hearing how she has used her story to encourage and teach others how to heal through personal writing, just like she did. I'm really inspired by her new book as well. And I have no doubt that you're going to want to check it out after you hear this conversation. And then finally, in this episode, Alex and I address a wonderfully vulnerable listener question that's about finding and connecting with yourself After a breakup, and I'm really touched by her response and her offerings to the listener. So let's get right into
1: the episode.
0: Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today.
1: Hi, Alexandra. It's great to chat with you. I love that we're namesakes. We are namesakes. It's a beautiful... Have
0: you always loved your name? Have you struggled with it at times?
1: I've always loved my name and the meaning behind the name, leader of mankind, which is really just resonant. And so I've always loved it. Yeah. How about you?
0: I have. Yeah. My mom, when she named me Alexandra... She was hell bent that I would only be Alexandra. And I, when I was two, I named myself Allie. And so in my, you know, in my personal life, I go by Allie quite a bit. But professionally, Alexandra is just, it really just feels like me. I feel like it really
1: suits me. Awesome. But we have a great name. (laughs) We do. So this is
0: our first time crossing paths and I have your brand new book, How We Heal sitting right here with me. My mom, the very same mom, was sitting last night reading it. She's like, this is a really good book. I love this. So you've got fans and fans and fans already right here in my home.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, that makes me so happy. That means I am doing my job. So thanks, Alexandra's mom. <laughs> <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> All right. So Alex,
0: what is a growing edge? that you are currently working on in one of your important relationships and what has it been teaching you lately?
1: My growing edge is doing better at responding when I'm ready versus reacting in the moment. Mm. I can be really big, emotioned, big feelings, wanting to get my point across right then and there. And something that I've been practicing specifically within my marriage and in motherhood, I'm raising three daughters, I've been with my husband for nine years, is to breathe before I speak to anybody, is to pause before I speak to anybody, especially if I'm feeling big feelings. And so that is my growing edge. It's like an intentional daily practice to be like, Alex, wait a second. Even sometimes it's, okay, what language can I use? To say, I'm not ready to talk right now, especially with my husband. Hey, can we take a beat? Because I'm feeling like we're having big energy right now. And just learning how to communicate those needs, which is hard. (laughs) It's so hard because so often
0: the experience of the big emotion is the experience of urgency. This has to happen. And this has to happen now. It's the emotion And it's the urgency around the emotion. So it does make it, it is challenging. Yeah. Are there strategies or practices that you find particularly helpful as you manage that growing edge?
1: I'm a big walker, so I will go for a walk so I can sort my feelings out. I also just say, I don't wanna talk right now or I can't talk right now, or can we revisit this later? And as an adult, that's really nurturing my inner child because I didn't have the space to do that growing up. I did not have the space to say that hurt me or I'm having big feelings or I'm sad. I just didn't have the space to do that. So as I reparent myself and also as I raise these three girls who are 14, four and three, it's like, how do I teach them through my actions, how to regulate their emotions and also how to say, hey, I'm not ready to talk right now. And me as the parent honor that. That's
0: where I was going to go next, because as you were talking, I was aware this just happened yesterday between our daughter and I. She's 17, Mm -hmm. senior in high school, and there's a kind of urgency that I'm feeling as we start this whole calendar year of lasts. you know, it's the last homecoming. It's the last that, you know, and there's college applications and there's lots of energy around that. And she needs a lot of space these days. Mm. She needs more space these days than she's needed my whole life with her, it's a growing edge for her to say, mom, I need space, not conversation. And it's a growing edge for me to like lick my little old wounds that are like, but but I was your sun and moon and constellation (laughs) for a long time. What do you mean? You know, it's different, but my gosh, as you're saying about your girls, you know that you want all three of those girls to have the capacity to notice when they need a break, to ask for a break and to cultivate relationships in which they can be given a break and space.
1: Yes. And create a sense of emotional safety within those relationships when it comes to saying, this is what I want. This is what I need. Establishing boundaries and just autonomy, because just because something is urgent to me, doesn't mean it's going to be urgent to them, you know, <laughs> and even I, I, I find this a lot in marriage. It's like sometimes my husband wants to talk through things, especially when there's kind of a disagreement immediately. And I just don't have and I'm just like, I, I don't want to do it. I, I don't want to do it right now. And I feel safe enough with him to say that and not feel like he's going to take his love away from me, which is mm. what I am. You know, just working through as I grow and heal and change, especially as I look back on my childhood. It's like, what relationships are making me feel safe and seen and held, even mm-hmm. when it's not going the way the other person may want it to go or vice versa.
0: And I imagine that you find that when you can say, I know you're urgent. I know you could do this now. I can't do this now. Don't you, do you find that then when he gives you that space, that's part of how you regulate then. And that's then creates a capacity inside of you to approach him and have the conversation, right? Because you've been given space, you settle, ground, clarify, and ready yourself for the very conversation that he wants to have. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Versus if you ask for space and he gets woundy or he escalates or he gets urgent or he says you must not and you shouldn't you'd be off on a whole nother cycle, right? Where
1: now- Yeah, we'd be off on this. This might sound really dramatic, but I feel like we'd almost be on this unsafe territory, you know, emotional unsafe territory where it's like, you're not honoring me. I'm not honoring you. Now we're arguing. Now we're pissed at each other. You know what I mean? It's just like, as I grow and heal and as we deepen our love together and as we raise children and as I become a better friend to the people around me and whatever- I just realized like I need and want how I heal is in emotionally safe relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm really blessed to like have that with my circle of people. And, you know, sometimes things are really urgent for me and I have to be like, hey, girl, wind it down, you know, <laughs> like walk, stop it trying. <laughs> walk it back, walk it back. Stop trying to force people into seeing that you're ready right now. If they're Gosh. not, you know, it's just, you know, being a human is just hard, you know? It's
0: all of the human stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it is trying and screwing it up and trying it mm-hmm. again. But even that process, right? Like all the ways in which I'm sure you and Ryan keep tweaking and tweaking all of that builds trust, right? Like that's, yes. that's how, that's how trust builds actually. Like that's how you each are kind of testing the space for emotional safety is that he says okay alex i will step back but ps side note if i step back and give you space i am handing you the ball to remember mm-hmm. that this is important and to come back to me are you going to come back to me you know that's it
1: and we mm-hmm. had to work through that sure. a lot early sure. on and so yes it's the trust that you just you nailed it it is the trust yes
0: Mm-hmm. Because there is a slope between I'm not ready now and I'm avoiding this thing. You know, I think that's yes. so often what
1: happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all been there too. Oh, you know, it's- <laughs> like, oh, we had a falling out. We need to address that. I, what? I just, <laughs> I don't,
0: I don't remember this. What do you, I don't know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yep.
0: Yep. Uh, I was thinking about um a variation on this. I was mentioning that we have this daughter who's a senior and she's going through college applications and the conversation, it's really delicate. It's really tender. It's our first time going through this with her. It's her first time going through it. And what she was experiencing with us, is you know, we'd be out on a walk, my husband and I and her, and we'd be strategizing like, where's the window? What's the question that we can ask to get into this conversation with her And she Mm -hmm. was on to us. She knew that we were looking for the door and the window and it felt sneaky as hell to her. It didn't feel safe to her. And so we luckily came together and created a structure where we just call it summit. There's a summit on the weekend, Saturday or Sunday, you know, there's a summit and any of the three of us can bring any questions about college, any concerns, all of that can be brought to the table, like literally sit around the table and we go into Summit, we make a little like ritual joke, we're now in Summit, and that's where those conversations happen. And then Summit closes down, and then it has to wait till the next time. Because, you know, and I think that's the way it goes. When the when the conversations are delicate and urgent and tender like that, there needs to be structure to contain. And it really helped with the pattern we were getting into of her avoidance, our urgency, the more we were urgent, the more she was avoiding, the more she was avoiding, the more we were urgent. And it was, you know, so we had to kind of come together to create a different system that would hold
1: all of us. I feel that a hundred percent. Sending out so much love as you meet for summits, you know, like it's 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 hard. <laughs> okay,
0: so Alex, you are a best selling author, you are a speaker, a podcast host, a teacher. Of well-being, and you have a, a ginormous, beautiful following on Instagram. Last I saw it was like 1.4 million people around the world turn to you for love and comfort and guidance around their own healing journeys. So can you talk to us a bit about you? How did you come to this work? How have you grown in this work? Yeah, where have you been and where are you now?
1: Oh wow, it's a great question. Where have I been? What's coming up is kind of listing in a way that feels easy to digest. So I have been broken. I have been lost. I have been deeply disconnected from myself. And I have been on this path of healing for the past 10 or 11 years now. Intentional healing, I want to say. I think I've always been in the flow of healing, but not necessarily rooted in intention and clarity and like, oh, I'm actually choosing to do this thing where am I now? I am in a place of deep self-awareness of being committed to my healing work because when we heal ourselves, we heal each other. I'm a big believer in self-care as community care. Mm -hmm. And I do not think we can do this life alone. And so I am here to kind of dismantle that healing has to be hard all the time. Mm -hmm. And- I have learned to lean into the joy that comes up as I heal and as we heal as a collective. It's like, okay, we also have to give ourselves big permission to say, yes, I may be hurting and yes, I may be healing from that hurt, but I can also be happy and grateful and joyful and deeply present in my life and hold it all. Mm. And so being at the rock bottom of my life Is really where I had to be 10, 11 years ago to climb kind of out of the mud Mm -hmm. and find my way without judgment, without shame, really hard to do. Yeah. And also incredibly possible to do.
0: Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you: Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafczyk and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they are not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. I was so touched you know, in the on the opening pages of How We Heal. You quote, have deep empathy for people who choose not to look at their emotional wounds, traumas, and shortcomings because they don't know how to heal themselves after uncovering the mess. And you go on to say, I turned away from my pain for years. Turning away led to a lot of destructive behaviors like self-harm, anxiety, depression, having a child at 18 because I was looking for love, comfort, and attention in all the wrong places. I mean, it brings tears to my eyes because you open by saying, I know, I know the temptation to mm-hmm. avoid, to put it all in a box and like wrap duct tape around the box and just hide from it. You write with deep empathy about that tendency to turn away.
1: I mean, it's more comfortable to turn away. It's easier to turn away. And so why wouldn't we? turn away. Like turning toward is the hard stuff, you know, turning toward might break us open more so than turning away. And so when we make the decision to look at our stuff, to look at our pain, to look at our trauma, to look at our joy and know we are worthy of this thing, even when we are in the depths of grief, it's a big undertaking And it's so brave. It is so deeply brave. And people need to realize that folks like me and others who write these types of books and teach these types of teachings have also been through the mud. Like we are speaking from experience. The reason why I love the lotus flower Mm. is because it literally grows through the muck and this beautiful thing comes up and- I want people to know and understand that when you are ready, you can heal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you are ready, you can turn towards and look at the things that have made you feel shame and pain. It is possible. And I don't have the answers. I mean, I tell that to my students and clients and everybody i can like i don't have the answers i'm no expert i'm no guru i am a human don't walk behind me don't i'm not leading you we are walking together <laughs> and we are on this road together not enough people are saying hold my hand through this let's link arms through this let's yeah. heal together through this empathy is so necessary compassion holding each other yeah it's important and letting folks know it's okay that you're not ready to to turn towards and when you are ready, I will be here to bear witness to that.
0: And it's not all at once, just like a little baby nibble at a time. <laughs> not a sprint. This is not a feast. This is just little bit by little bit by little bit. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm thinking about as you talk about I'm not walking ahead of you, you know, in that way, you are I think I don't know if it's you're subverting, but you are expanding. Our notions of healing, because, you know, I come from a very, very, very traditional clinical psychology, academia, research, where in my training, you know, I think I was on the cusp. We were beginning to center BIPOC voices, center feminist voices. But my whole field was built on a very white, very male, very top down. There are clinicians and there are patients. There is us and there is them. And I know, I mean, I was a therapy client before I was a therapist. It's been a journey for me of how do I, do I get to be messy and a healer? What parts of me get to be shown? I have spent potentially as many hours that on the client side of the office as I have the therapy side of the office. And I know to the marrow of my bones that I am the clinician I am and the teacher I am because I have been in the mud, because I have suffered and looked and examined and questioned, we are new at the idea that therapists can say that out loud. And I think we are there because of people of color, because of queer folk, because of women, like, because there are, we are expanding the notions of like, wait a minute, who does it serve to create a world where the healers are over here and the sick people are over here? Who benefits from that? You know, you did not have to strip away Those notions of who you should be, you just started in. You were like, okay, I have been through this and I trust my voice that there's something in here for others. And the world is like, ah, yes, please.
1: More of that. Alex, (laughs) like keep that going. I appreciate you for saying that. And I have a lot of therapist friends and I have actually considered going back to school to become a therapist. And I have decided not to because I do not want to strip away my ability to connect with people the way that I do. And I think what's really beautiful about the space that I'm in and the space that my therapist friends and doctor friends are in is seeing the humanity Mm. of bearing witness to the humanity from all angles. My therapist friends have therapists, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like they are, we are all deeply messy and deeply human. So I love that you asked that question, like, Am I allowed to be messy? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what really invites people in and gets clients and patients comfortable with practitioners is when they can be they can see the vulnerability without, you know deep diving into personal experience, but just like they can see and feel the vulnerability and the deep human connection. That's right. like I remember finding my first therapist as a young adult. And she changed my life. She told me, you have your answers. You are your greatest teacher. She goes, I'm here to help you, to guide you, to nudge you, to dig deeper. But I do not have your answers.
0: Was that radical for you?
1: Oh, my God. To have, this was before I was deep into my own work and in this work as a profession. And so I was like, this person is giving me my power? This woman is saying, you can heal yourself. (sighs) Like my 19, 20 year old self needed that permission. And it didn't click right away. I remember feeling like, well, why am I paying her? if She's not going to give me, (laughs) give me my answers. But oh my gosh, I didn't need her to give me my answers. I needed her to show me the way to self-trust. And that's exactly what she did.
0: It's just so beautiful. Every part of you that believes some story about your brokenness, your inadequacy, your worthlessness, every part of you was confronted by that. Having to just introduce this idea of actually, you know you, you are trustworthy. You have the potential to create safety and wisdom inside of you. That's what she was inviting you to weave together, right? To weave together the old story of I'm broken, I'm damaged, I'm worthless to just weave in um that you may be disconnected. You may be in pain, but you aren't broken. That's
1: not broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She invited me to see possibility, which truly changed the trajectory of my life. I mean, she's the one who told, I've always been a writer, always. I'm the only child. So I comforted myself a lot through poetry and short stories and writing but it wasn't until i saw miss b that that i started to write to heal myself to know myself to get in tune with myself and so that's really what changed the game for me was the possibility of healing no matter where i came from no matter what i'd been through i was being given permission for the first time to trust myself And to heal myself without asking anyone to validate that. It was just like, here you are, here you go, do the thing.
0: Miss frickin' B. Thank you, Miss B. Because Miss B led to the next thing, the next thing. And now millions of people around the world get to be near you and have that experience. It's just so beautiful how it all kind of strings together from Miss B to that possibility, to you knowing damn well that you're a writer, there's healing in writing, and then you just grew that from there. Yes. That is the heart of your work, right? Is about your journey has been rooted in writing to heal, and then you have gone on to help so many people in your writing to heal courses. What do you think it is about writing for you that has been so powerful? And is it more powerful than meditation, more powerful than conversation? Like, what is it for you? With the writing?
1: So I look at writing as a restorative practice. So, writing is meditation. Writing is, writing for me is allowing myself to hear myself, mm-hmm. to see my feelings on the page. And so, I don't think it's better than anything. I think it's another tool in our emotional toolboxes to use, and to lean into, and to explore. I've taught folks ages 17 to 84 years old. (laughs) I've taught writers. I've taught non-writers. I've taught seasoned journalers. I've taught new journalers. And I've taught folks who want to be authors. I've taught folks who have no interest in writing books. And the resounding message is, I want to feel seen. I want to feel safe. And I want to feel supported, and that has to start with me. Mm-hmm. me meaning the self. Yeah, And so that's why I think using writing as a healing tool is so beneficial because it gives ourselves the invitation to create safety for ourselves, to give our voice a place to land, and to support and see the possibility and potential within our own healing practice. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I love doing what I do. I often tell people, you don't have to be a writer to be in this Mm -mm. course. You can have never written a journal entry or a poem or an essay in your life. And you are still welcomed here because you will find your voice in practice with me. And that's the goal for people to find their voice.
0: I imagine for many of your students, there's a need to shed Not just the stories of I'm not a writer or I'm not creative, but to shed the idea that writing is something you do to give to somebody else to get back a grade. Because that's sort of our first experience of writing is in school for most of us, right? Where it's a transactional, is this good enough? So I imagine there's also that need to strip away the old story, to like liberate the self from that old story, and to have writing just become a way of experiencing the self, a way of connecting and being in dialogue with the self.
1: And a way of asking whose voice is that? Because when you're trying to question the voices and the stories that are within your brain and you're trying to unpack them and get clarity on them, it's hard to do that inside. Like you need to put it somewhere, whether it's voice note journaling, which I highly encourage to folks, whether it's pen and paper journaling, like How are you seeing and hearing and bearing witness to yourself? And whose voice is that? Is that your mama's voice? Is that your dad's voice? Is that your spouse's voice? Is that your ex's voice? Like, where is your voice? Like, identifying that is major for me to get across. And I often have people in course who are therapists, who are PhD students. Their writing practice has been deeply rooted in academia and deeply rooted in serving others or getting a grade or what have you, as you mentioned, And they get to come and restoratively write for them. They get to come to write to heal for them. And I'm not grading. I don't even look at people's work. Mm -hmm. They ask me for feedback. A lot of my PhD students will say, can you give me (laughs) feedback on this? And I'm like, no. But how do I
0: know if it was good? How do I know if I did it right?
1: (laughs) It may not be good. And it also may not be bad. Live in the middle. Give yourself permission to live in the middle. Mm. Healing happens in the middle, you know?
0: (laughs) Uh-huh, uh-huh. It is because writing, it becomes so concrete. As you said, you can look then, I can think about, I'm imagining different journaling experiences I've had where I'm journaling for a while, and then I'm going back through and I'm circling, right? So there's the writing itself, then there's the review, and it's like, I'm circling this piece. This is not my voice. Circling this, I'm underlying this point. You know, where did this come from? I'm
1: crossing this out. I am crossing this out. It is not mine. Yep,
0: Right. And when it's all just bopping around inside of our brain, it's really nebulous. It kind of comes and flows. You can't capture it because it's a thought or it's an emotion. But when it goes to the paper, you can see it differently. You can work with it differently.
1: Yeah. And you can also learn how to hold space for yourself without judgment. Without wanting that grade, without needing that critique, it gets so much easier. I've had multiple highly educated, deeply rooted in academia folks be like, I'm still journaling, Alex. I'm still restoratively writing because of you. Because when I have to turn in my dissertation, I'm like, oh, I have no more words. And... I still make time to soothe myself by way of writing or by going for a walk and voice noting. I often tell folks within our four week course, there's one week where we don't write, where we go on walks and we voice note how we're feeling. I'll give them a prompt. I'll have them ask themselves that prompt on audio memo on the phone and then have them talk themselves through it. So that they can not only be in motion with their emotions, but also so they can listen back to it later and be like, oh, that's how I was feeling? Or wow, it feels good to hear myself say that and to let that out. And then if they want to go to the page, they can.
0: Oh, Alex, that's just beautiful. I love that. I cannot wait to try that practice. (laughs) I'm about to go and do that myself. Do it.
1: Do it. Let me know how it is. (laughs)
0: As you were describing it, because I wanted to come back and ask you about the voice note journaling, which is brilliant. Mm-hmm. But I also, as you were talking about it, was reminding me. So one of the things you did in this book that I thought was just so effective was you wove together not just your own stories. It's a lot of application, like you give your reader. Lots of different ways to go, a meditation, a practice, a journaling prompts, of course, of course. But you also wove in the voices of other women. You've got Nedra Tawab writes a chapter. Dr. Tama writes a chapter. Megan Rapinoe writes a chapter. Glennon Doyle writes a chapter. You've given us access to other women's stories, either in conversation with you or as an essay. And I was so struck in the Tabitha Brown interview that you did. Tabitha Brown writes about her mom, who she had lost. Her mom had passed away, and she talks to her mom. And I was wondering what that was like for you when she shared that she remains in dialogue with her mom. And does it connect in some way to that idea of a voice note journaling prompt? But tell me about what that was like when Tabitha Brown shared with you that she still talks to her mom.
1: It made me feel so warm inside because. I know what grief can do to a person. My husband lost his mom six years ago and he feels completely different from how Tab feels like he suppresses. And so me and Tab actually talked about that. And I asked her, did your faith waver when your mom died? And she said, no, my faith got deeper and Mm -hmm. I knew I was gaining an angel Mm -hmm. and I know that I can still talk to my mom and I will still see signs of her. And that is so deeply warming to me and sacred, especially bearing witness to what loss and grief and healing and sadness can do when they live together. Mm -hmm. Like she's still, of course, always going to miss her mama, but she also knows in her being that her mother is still instilling lessons and love and light into her life, even if she's not here in body.
0: <sighs> yep. I lost my dad in 2012. And in that chapter of my life, I was deeply immersed in uh, a women's spirituality community. And we were reading spiritual teachers coming together in circle, doing lots of like spiritual work that for me, felt simultaneously like it made so much sense to me, but also it felt really challenging to all of my training as a psychologist. It was like this wonderful, like both and. And it meant then that when I lost my dad, it was, I know that it was an entirely different grieving process because I just was like, I mean, he's right here. He's on my, on my left shoulder. You know, I go down to the lake and I go for a swim and I'm with him. There's particular sights and smells that sort of are signs or connection points. Like, I feel like he is just like, yeah, right here. As Oprah says, right, we have an angel you can call by name. And that lens, like that availability to me is something I wouldn't have had, but for the spiritual work I was doing, because in our culture, we don't, that's not our sort of predominant narrative of grief and loss. And and so, right, for you, it's so powerful. You have Tab's experience, you know, lined up next to your husband's experience that are different. And your husband has the more traditional experience. When someone's gone, they're gone. And you got the, the sadness, but that's really all you have.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. What I think is really beautiful about this life is the acknowledgement of impermanence. Mm. I just started rereading and re-listening to Pema Children's book, When Things Fall Apart. And I was just, before I hopped on with you, I was just listening to the chapter on impermanence and looking to everything as not going to last long and cherishing it when it's here. And interviewing those women for how we heal showed me the deep diversity in impermanence and in being in the moment so that we can be with the healing in our lives. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that is extremely sacred extremely that's a practice too right to deeply
0: savor what's here right now without getting graspy and grabby and trying to figure out how to make it just stay just so yeah
1: Yep. it's a practice it's a practice Mm -hmm. and a choice and it's hard
0: (laughs) Uh uh-huh One of the through lines in your book is that we heal in community. And so there's a way in which by you bringing us all of those women's voices and you in conversation with them, you were really modeling that in the book as well, that we heal by bearing witness to each other's stories, by being present to all the stories and by being together.
1: Yeah. Healing is an act of community service. Healing is an act of community care. And we need each other. Like there, I often tell my students and my clients, like there's going to be a point in your healing when you need to be by yourself. Only you can sort through this stuff. And then there will be a point in your healing when you emerge and you're like, oh, that felt good, but I'm tender and I need my community to hold me, to cook for me, to listen to me. And then there's going to be a point in your healing when it feels like I got this. But it's all cyclical. I think that we go through those three stages often and we are never fully healed. I don't believe we're ever fully healed. I believe we will be healing until we die. Healing is a forever love. It is a forever journey. And some people get really pissed at me when I say that because they want healing to be this destination. But I'm sorry, guys. It's no such thing. It's no such thing. And when we learn to accept that healing is a forever friend, is a forever love. We get to interact with it in this new way. It's less of a pain in the ass and more of a, oh, I'm curious about this. Why is this coming up again? I mean, when I turned 30, I'm 33. When I turned 30, I remember childhood stuff just rising. Mm-hmm. Stuff that I thought I dealt with. And I had a bunch of my friends like, Welcome to your 30s. You know, like, (laughs) you're about to get it. You're about to get your life together again. Uh huh. And I remember feeling really angry. Mm -hmm. I remember feeling sad. Like, I went through that when I was 10. Yeah. I've addressed this already. Why am I back here? I also started feeling. Deeply shameful about being a teen mom Mm -hmm. when I turned 30. And I didn't used to feel that way. I wasn't not, I just, it was just what it was. Like that was a part of my journey. And then I started feeling like the deeper I connected with self awareness and spirit, the lessons that came to the forefront were you became a teen mom because you were looking for love in the wrong places. You were not protecting yourself. You did not value yourself. And why? So tackling the why of my life at 30 for a decision that I made at 18, (sighs) big healing. Uh And I know, I know that I suppressed that because that's some heavy stuff to work through. That's right. Especially as I continue to give birth to daughters, you know, it's just like, whoo, like, What is universe God trying to tell me about myself in my womanhood as I mother them? How will I mother myself? How will I give compassion to 18-year-old Alex who didn't love herself, who hated herself, who was sad, who didn't want to be here, and who had a baby? Mm -hmm. It just, that's a lot to deal with. And Mm -hmm. so giving myself grace looked like going back to therapy, looked like talking through my shame. My why, and to learn how to give myself grace because I was beating myself up, and it was hard, it was so hard, but we work through it, and that's what healing is a consistent working through an offering of grace and choosing to do that
0: absolutely, my dear, can we just spend even a few minutes offering some love to this reimagining love listener who wrote in to us from Canada? Yes. Okay. So we have a listener from Canada. She uses she, her pronouns. And what she wants us to talk about with her a little bit is she says, I just got out of a relationship where my partner had a very hard time validating any of my needs or experiences, big or small. I am realizing that I am having a hard time doing that for myself now as well. How do I learn to trust myself again? How can I relearn how to believe that my needs are valid and that it is possible for me to find a healthy partnership built on mutual respect, trust, and love. And the first thing we want her to do is get How We Heal, because How We Heal, I feel like there's so much in this book that will be just really nourishing prompts and stories for her. So that's one thing we want her to do. But Alex, what do you... Where do you go with this question? What comes up for you as you hear her question about trusting herself again?
1: Mm, I think what I would say is that self-trust is also a daily practice. And of course, because I'm a restorative writing teacher and I want people to go to the page, I would love for our listener to explore what she needs On the page, I title the top of the page, I need, and just make a list. The reason why I want her to do that is because often we don't even address our needs. We don't even know what we need because we want someone else to validate us or because we have been silenced, whether we are silencing ourselves or have had someone else silence us. And so dismantling that could easily look and feel like, what do I need right now? in this moment. Another thing that I would invite you to do is to give yourself permission to not know what you need. That's where the curiosity comes into play. Perhaps it's like, what do you think you deserve? What do you want? What do you want to offer yourself? How do you want to hold yourself through this life? I think it's also important for us to understand that As human beings, we want to be validated. Like that's not a bad thing. That doesn't make us weak. However, we also must be in practice of validating ourselves. And I think through this I need exercise, there's actually a deeper dive in how we heal on how folks can do this. This is basic. This is not rocket science. And this list might be hard. Like, what do I even need? Am I selfish for saying what I need? Am I needy for saying what I need? Silence that voice and give yourself permission to just write through it. Self-trust also. Another thing that I love to have folks do. Dear self-trust, I want to get to know you. Please teach me. Write a letter to self-trust with those prompts. Don't edit yourself. Don't judge yourself. Everything will come to the surface as you continue doing these practices. And they may feel really silly. They may feel deeply uncomfortable. But read that letter whenever you feel like, okay, I don't know how to trust myself. I don't know where I'm going. What did I write to self-trust about what I wanted to show me and teach me in this life? Because there's your answer. As Ms. B told me, You are your own greatest teacher. And that's why writing is so sacred and valuable and important is because often we will see our answers six months to a year later if we go back and read that letter, which is what I tell people to do. Write the letter, hide the letter, set a calendar invite to yourself, read your letter in six months, go read that letter. And I've had folks email me after and say, Alex, I didn't know I needed what I wrote six months ago. I needed that today. Another thing that could be really valuable is to allow yourself to just be in limbo. We live in a world that tries to tell us who we need to be, how we need to be, where we need to go. And sometimes the best blessing we can give ourselves is just being where we are and getting curious about the place we're in right now. And if that's, I don't trust myself and I don't know what my needs are, get curious about that. Why don't you know what your your needs are? I don't know why. Okay, well, where did you learn that from? When would be an ideal time for you to lean in? Like, it's just, there's so many ways that we can get clear in a way that doesn't need to be deep. Right. That's another thing I tell people all the time. Everything isn't super deep. Everything doesn't need to be a huge mountain to climb. Walk up the stairs. Go slow. It's okay. uh.
0: There's something in here that sh- her ex's voice still lives in her head. It sounds like there was a time where she knew what she needed and she knew what her experience was. It was that when she would express it, her ex would invalidate it. Well, we can, you know, pontificate all day about her ex's own you know, disconnection from their soul, from their interior, because it's very hard to invalidate for somebody else what you have no ability to validate within yourself. Yes. So there's a way in which she has taken out of this relationship something that actually isn't hers. It's her exes. So I was imagining, you know, and maybe it is writing. There's a writing ritual or... Whose voice is that? Right. And so can she start, and maybe it's on the page, right? As she's on the page circling what's mine what's not mine. Yes. In that way she's not starting from scratch. She is returning
1: to herself and reclaiming.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
1: That's stunning. And I think asking yourself whose voice is that is important. That can be something that you do on a walk. And you voice note, whose voice is that? Is that his voice? Is that their voice? Or is that your voice? Yes to circling whose voice is yours, and crossing out whose voice is not. Trying to do this in your head is going to be very challenging. Get on the page, get in your audio notes, and just see what comes up. Just see. It can't hurt to see.
0: I feel really hopeful for this listener in Canada.
1: I do too. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) I'm so proud of you too because you, right. It's
0: like she told us where she was, she told us where she is, and she told us where she wants to go you know? And so we're just fluffing the edge. We're just kind of like point, you know, giving her some tools to bring with her on this journey, but she's got this journey. She's like, I used to know it. I named it. My ex invalidated it. And now I got it. And now I want it back. Of course, she wants it back. Of course, she wants the ability to name what she wants, what's pleasurable, what brings joy, what's essential, what's nourishing. Of course she does.
1: Yes. And that's amazing that you vulnerably wrote into us. And I'm so proud of you for even having this thought and being willing and wanting to unpack it because that is also deeply sacred work. And it's okay if you feel lost on this path. Like you don't have to know which way you're going. You don't have to know why you need to get there. Just baby steps are still steps. Remember that.
0: Yeah. Oh, Alex, I just have truly enjoyed this time with you.
1: Thank you. I've enjoyed it too. This is really wonderful.
0: For Reimagining Love listeners who are just getting to know you, where is the best place to start to dive in to get to know you and your work better? You can go to
1: alexl.com. All resources are there. Info about me is there. I'm just at Alex on Instagram. And so you can join the community there if you'd like. And of course, through buying my books, the most recent one, How We Heal is out November 8th and it's available wherever books are sold. Pre-ordering is so valuable for authors. It is so necessary and important. And every pre-order counts towards the first week of sales, which is a big deal to be able to rank on Amazon and to rank on the New York Times list. So please, please, please pre-order how we heal, share it with listeners, other listeners, share it with people in your sphere, because I truly think that this book will be transformative for collective healing and for deeper inner personal work.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. We will have links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alex. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Alex, for sharing your story here with us, for encouraging healing through self-reflection and writing, and for the wonderful insights that you offered to that listener. I hope that you will check out Alex's new book, How We Heal, which features so many wonderful voices, some of which have been guests on Reimagining Love. You will find her new book linked in the show notes, along with all of the other ways that you can stay connected to Alex. Until next time, be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want to have answered on the show follow the link in the show notes of this episode to send in a written or audio question questions can be about intimate partnerships family relationships friendships you name it i can't wait to hear from you